Today we're going to talk about the man who first alerted John McCain to the existence of the Russian dossier. This is an extremely powerful individual who, despite being a central figure in the Russian collusion saga, has gotten a free pass from the media. We're going to talk about it today. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you today? I'm fantastic, and I'll tell you why. Why? I feel like a new person since I decided to take a positive outlook on the world. Oh, yeah? Yes. I'm not kidding. That's great. It's like the weight of the world is off my shoulders because I realize that trying to figure out what's really going on at the very highest levels is – is like I read once maybe from like a, a yogi. Who was it? It yogi. was well anyway. I think it was like what? Yogi Berra? Nope. I think it was Swami Sachi Dananda, if I recall correctly. Oh. And I believe it was he who said the question of the existence of God is unanswerable and irrelevant. Because you're not gonna answer the question and it doesn't matter because the the truth of how to live is self-evident regardless of that answer. So you really don't need the answer. It's just an intellectual exercise. And I feel that about like power and, you know, power in the world today. It doesn't matter. You know, you can tell what you need to worry about where the rubber hits the road. You can tell we need like my biggest thing right now is trial by jury. Like I want no more plea bargains. I, I really feel like if you can defend yourself in front of your peers, you have a chance, you know, to retain liberty. And, uh, and so we don't need to worry about what's I, I myself, maybe I'm wrong. Let other people do it. But for me, I just was worried all the time, you know, about what's, what's really going on. What does the future hold? And, and I feel like that in itself, after I read that meme, thing that like 150 page slideshow of how memetics is used to enhance dysfunctional subcultures i was like wow i even if if some of the truth stuff a lot of it's true but it doesn't it's i i gave up like that truth porn stuff a long time ago like figuring out who's a crisis actor and all that it's like obviously a waste of time but i'm now thinking that to think that there's like total control over the media and world events and all that is so disempowering that they put those ideas out there on purpose. Yeah. And I just, I feel it's as simple as that. Like just to see what their tactics are, are that nakedly. I mean, I could, I suspected it, but just to see it written like that made it crystal clear that like anything that's mimetic is weaponized, even if it's true, it's like propaganda. A lot of times it's true, but it's it's a weapon, and the weapon is to disempower you or to paralyze yeah. you or to just distract you, waste your time. And I feel like what you turned me on to a long time ago, which I didn't really embrace at the time, is that power of of just not falling for that. And my own personal story is an example of that. I mean, I dropped out of high school and I ended up getting a scholarship to Harvard and a lot of other things that you would just never believe was possible. And I think that in itself, just not believing that it's hopeless is the answer. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing's hopeless. And you're right. You're a perfect example of breaking the imposed script that society puts upon us. We're born into a world that imposes these scripts upon us and they're very limiting. And they're reinforced through propaganda that makes people believe that their fate is just simply not in their hands, that there's nothing that they can do, that they're stuck in a box. It's very disempowering, like you said. And obviously a population of people that feel disempowered helps those that are in power maintain the status quo. They're not a threat. They don't challenge them. Talk about changing things, overcoming a system. Create a population of people that feel empowered. That's how you do it. It's not about overcoming a monolithic structure all at one time. It's about empowering people at the individual level one at a time. And then they go on and do the same thing, and then it spreads. That is what they're most afraid of. 
That's why I like studying propaganda. That's why studying propaganda to me is empowering because when you do it, you discover that these scripts that were imposed upon us when we were born, these barriers that were put upon us that we have learned to believe that we can't overcome, we realize that most of these barriers are just an illusion and that we do have what it takes to do many of the things that are outside of the box that we've been put in and that anything just might be possible. That is why I find studying propaganda to be an empowering thing. And what you said about power is one of the central tenets of power since the beginning of time, it's written about over and over again, is to make the public or make people believe that you are far more powerful and far more unbeatable than anybody can imagine. That way, like you said, it disempowers people and they think they don't have a chance when the reality is things are never as powerful as they make themselves appear to be. So, And actually, they wouldn't need to do that if they were that powerful. Yeah. They wouldn't be locked in these battles with us if they could just dictate. And it's all in the realm of the mind. So, yeah, exactly. And they're... It's unfortunate that they are spending a lot of money and energy trying to uncover ways to manipulate us psychologically. Like that is a bummer and that gives them a, a real advantage. But but it only works if you participate in it. You know, the yeah. dialectic only works if you allow it to um, pigeonhole you or engage in it. Yeah. All right, we're running on a tight schedule today, so we should probably go ahead and dive in to the topic at hand. I think you might be triggered today, but I don't think it's a negative thing. I think it's a positive thing personally. I think it's really interesting to uncover things like this. Shortly after Trump was elected, John McCain was called to a secret meeting at a security conference in Canada. And the man that was requesting this meeting is a guy named Sir Andrew Wood from the UK. Now, I'll tell you a little bit more about who he is in a moment, but what happened at that meeting was Sir Andrew Wood alerted, and McCain talks about this in his book, and Sir Andrew Wood admits it. He alerted McCain to the existence of the Russian dossier. The Christopher Steele document that said that Trump had prostitutes pee on him or something? Yes, that dossier. (laughs) That dossier has been at the center of everything for quite some time now. And he helped arrange a meeting for McCain to meet with Steele and to get a copy of the dossier. And then McCain then in turn gave the dossier to Comey, which is all in his book now. And that's usually where the story about Sir Andrew Wood stops. That he was just kind of a middleman that said, hey, there's this thing out there that you should know about. Here's this guy you should meet with. But he actually plays a bigger role in the whole Russian dossier thing than most people are aware because the media hasn't talked about it. And the more you learn about the role he played and his background, you start to wonder why in the world isn't this guy being asked questions. Maybe he is, but why isn't the media putting the spotlight on this guy? And I think we can come up with some theories on that if we wanted to. But really, the more you ask questions about this guy, the more you start to go beyond even the dossier and what his involvement might be in that, and you start to wonder what his involvement might be in the entire Russian collusion saga that's been going on for so long now. You start to ask if maybe he's involved in some sort of psychological warfare operation against the United States. I'm not saying that he is. I'm just saying that any reasonable person that looks into him and his background will start to say, hey, why in the world isn't this guy the focus of an investigation? Why isn't he receiving any media scrutiny? He didn't just let him know about the dossier. Sir Andrew Wood was Christopher Steele's mentor. He consulted on the dossier. He is listed in legal documents as an associate to Christopher Steele's intelligence firm, Orbis, and he is an associate fellow of the Russia and Eurasia program at the Chatham House in London. Now, the Chatham House is one of the world's most powerful international think tanks. They create and suggest policy to the international community, and they also communicate their values around the world through the use of strategic communication, which is another way of saying propaganda. I think it is the same as or part of the 
Royal Institute for International yes, Affairs, that's what it is. Yes, which exactly. is what launched the Council on Foreign Relations. And if you think that there is a conspiracy or a cabal that sets policy goals around the world, this is ground zero. Chatham right. House is the the kernel of it. It is, I think, uh, like a Cecil Rhodes project. Yes, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. And in 2015, the Chatham House published a paper called The Russian Challenge. And in it, they describe why they believe Russia is a problem and what the West should do about it. And this wasn't the first time they had talked about the Russian challenge. Sir Andrew Wood, who was an author on this paper, has been writing about the problem with Russia at least since 2009, probably a lot sooner than that. So Sir Andrew Wood has been writing about how Russia is the problem and what needs to be done about them since long before Brexit, long before the Ukraine coup, long before Donald Trump was elected president, long before any talk of Russian collusion, and long before any talk of the Russian dossier. He's been wanting to do something and perhaps has been doing something about Russia for a long time. And this Chatham House report, of which Sir Andrew Wood is one of the authors, describes the Russian challenge to the West as one of managing the increasing threats Russia poses to the international order. And I remember when George Soros picked up that theme, and I remember a caller to my show called in and insisted years ago that Russia was on the agenda. So I remember a lot of foreshadowing, and I and this was before Ukraine. Yeah. Where it really yeah, hit Right, the, and he wrote about this stuff before the Ukraine thing happened. And specifically, they talk about Russian authoritarianism and nationalism throughout the paper. And some of the prescriptions they talk about Sir Andrew Wood specifically, talk, they talk about how it needs to be communicated to the West and specifically to the United States how much of a threat Russia actually is. And he speaks about communicating with them in ways of – and this needs to be demonstrated. They need to truly understand and grasp it. And the way that he talks about communicating it to the U.S. is the same way that Edward Bernays talks about communicating and demonstrating things to the public in order to make them feel it. And what Bernays talks about when he uses that language is he talks about creating news like the – Torches of Freedom campaign where he had women go out there and smoke cigarettes publicly to cause a stir, to create news. So he's talking about propaganda of the deed because you can't just tell people that so-and-so is a problem. They got to experience this person as being a problem to actually feel it. This upsets me a lot personally for numerous reasons. I've seen it in action and what happens is you've got it in your head or you want to prove to somebody that some someone else is bad. So you set them up. It's entrapment. You know what I mean? And, yep. I, and I always contend if it never happens that that person does anything bad, you're wrong to set them up. Right. If, you, if they're not doing enough bad stuff for you to actually catch them doing it, maybe they're not doing it. Right. Exactly. The clips that I'm going to play for you are from – they're from a panel discussion that was held on July 15th, 2015. The panel was called The Russian Challenge, Europe's Future Policy Course Towards Russia Considered, and this was held at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In the panel is Sir Andrew Wood and another guy named Keir Giles who is also from the Chatham House, and those are the only two that I took clips from. But they're talking about this Russian paper, and there's a lot of revealing audio about their intentions, how, what they think about Russia, and their kind of narrow-mindedness into finding a solution for it. I want to start by playing you this clip that gives you an idea of who Sir Andrew Wood is. This is a very powerful person. Keep in mind while you're listening to this clip that he is the guy who alerted McCain to the dossier. He was Christopher Steele's mentor. He was a consultant on the dossier. He actually told Christopher Steele that the only moral option he has is to give the dossier to the United States. He was working- Has it been debunked or like what's the status of that? Because Christopher Steele looks like an actor to me and he has that ridiculously fake name. Well, I don't think they're going to debunk it. They're just going to keep looking for evidence to support it is what they're going to do until at least at least until the midterms. OK, because I thought there was a while there that the dossier was like, obviously, it, 
it was false. And oh, it was it's unverified. Like, Even Comey says it's unverified, but throughout his interviews, Comey kept saying it's unverified, but it's possible. So it's we're still – people are still entertaining the idea that Trump, the skin flint germaphobe, is paying prostitutes to pee on him because he hates Obama so much? Yes. McCain published <laughs> in his book, and this, this was a big story last week. It was all over the news last week that McCain admitted that he gave this dossier to Comey and that he got it from Andrew Wood, and he said that he would do it again. Because it was a moral thing to do. So it's been – it's still in the news. There's still – if you say that it's um, been debunked, yeah. people will say, no, parts of it have been verified, which – and they'll ref- refer to like a conversation between two yeah. people. And then they'll say they're still looking for evidence of the other stuff. So it's a never-ending search for evidence. Mm-hmm. And so it's never going to be debunked mm-hmm. into whatever they're trying to accomplish. You know, They've gotten close yep. to it. People have stopped believing it, whatever. But um, this is Sir Andrew Wood. This is his introduction at this panel. And specifically, listen to how they describe him at the very end of this clip. Sir Andrew Wood, who is Associate Fellow in the Russia and Eurasia Program uh, at Chatham House. Uh, Prior to his work at Chatham House, he served as British Ambassador to Russia from 1995 to 2000 uh, and served uh, previously as British Ambassador to Yugoslavia from 1985 to 1989. They gave you the easy assignments, clearly, Sir Wood. uh, I just like to, love to break up countries. You like to break up countries. Ah, that was – that is in your resume. He likes to break up countries. That was him saying that and laughing. That's so messed up. It's not like they're actually joking. You know what I mean? They're laughing at how – they're just yeah. – because he does it. So it's obviously – you know, it's, the, <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Just to really drill this point home. This guy who likes to break up countries, who's laughing about liking to break up countries, is the guy who alerted John McCain to the existence of the Steele dossier, which he consulted on. This is the guy who is Christopher Steele's mentor. This is the guy who worked with the private intelligence firm. who was an associate of it in legal documents. And this is a guy who is part of the British elite, creates international policy. This is a very powerful individual. And he's getting no media scrutiny when it comes to the Russian dossier. So hmm. the reason yeah, I, that's I, I really point this out is because prior it sounds to- like Christopher Steele just popped up out of nowhere and FedExed it to Comey. And he was like, oh, it's this. But right. they got it from no. a, a an internationally respected top of the pyramid source. Well, this this wood guy actively sought out McCain. It wasn't like he just knew he was going to be there. Like he actively sought out McCain and had him come meet him in this like secret. Not that McCain wouldn't lap up whatever. No, absolutely. Suited yeah. The establishment. It's interesting because prior to world war one, the Wellington house sent out agents all over the world to conduct an international propaganda campaign. Countries conduct international propaganda all the time by presenting this. I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't ask questions about Russia or China or any other country. I'm saying that the fact that they're ignoring this part of this story is very telling and that all people who um, have some very suspect things around them should be investigated and there should be questions asked. But prior to world war one, they sent out all these, you know, international propagandists. And the one that came over to the United States was a guy named Sir Gilbert Parker. They used people with names like Sir and Lord and whatever mm-hmm. because because the Americans like to have these guys over at their house because they have <laughs> these prestigious yeah, yeah. names. And this is what yeah. they talk about. That's and great. Sir Gilbert Parker, in talking about how his propaganda campaign was was working in in the letters that he wrote back to the Wellington House – he talked about how great it was working because the American people were so gullible. Aww. There's a history of this type of stuff, and it's not just that one incident. There's other incidents as well. Laswell writes about how the biggest trick when it comes to World War I propaganda was convincing the American public that propaganda only came from evil Germans and never from oh, the Allies. They still believe that. Exactly. This is my point. This is why we should be asking questions about this guy, about – the people who are our allies, because anytime somebody brings up the possibility that maybe I don't want to say the British because it's not really he, he's a he's an elite and he's speaking kind of on behalf of the EU. But anytime somebody points out some of these some of this evidence, they're instantly shut down and called crazy or they're called a Nazi or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. 
Now, and I'll get into some of the stuff that he – remember, he likes to break up countries. In this clip, Sir Andrew Wood kind of articulates the problem that we face when it comes to Russia. And when he says we, he is just kind of speaking as though he's a representative of not only the EU, but just the entire West, which is very presumptuous. It is the evolution of uh, uh, Russia towards an authoritarian state under a small group determined to play by its own arbitrary rules that's the root cause of Russia's internal and external difficulties and, in consequence, the violence in Ukraine. Our problem whoa, whoa. is Russia. Stop right there. Wait, wait, hold on. Listen to the end of it again. Uh, uh. Our problem is Russia. Yes, the violence in Ukraine. I, I've, I've meant to tell you this before all that, but a central focus of this talk, this panel discussion, is Russia is bad because they because of the Ukraine coup, which is interesting because Sir Andrew Wood had been writing about how Russia was bad long before the Ukraine coup. But now they're using this as why. I wonder if the Ukraine coup was as much a provocation as anything else. Let me tell you what I'm thinking in that. So I think it's very clear and I've done numerous shows and other work on it after I'm sure Russia leaked Victoria Nuland, the assistant secretary of state and Jeffrey Pyatt, I think his name was, if I recall correctly, talking about how they were going to take out the democratically elected president of Ukraine and replace him with a, uh, before the camera and behind the camera triumvirate, one of whom was a neo-Nazi. And they, and, uh, and this guy, Pyatt, Jeffrey Pyatt said, we've got to get this done before and have it completely finished before Russia reacts. So they anticipated Russia's reaction. And I always thought, I just never took that, that sentence of the leak seriously. You know, I didn't notice it before. Because I was just like, okay, two things happened. Ukraine made a deal with Russia, and then they were invaded, basically. And Syria, I believe Syria turned towards Iran rather than Qatar for a gas pipeline into Europe. And Ukraine is also that gas pathway from, like, if you consider Russia and Iran allies in the gas world versus the East, the West. So I just figured... Syria and Ukraine turn towards Russia and they immediately get targeted for regime change. It didn't occur to me, you know, and then I'm puzzled because like Bibi Netanyahu went to a Russian event recently, uh, a big important celebration at the U.S. boycotts and Netanyahu and or Israel and the U.S. are on one side in the Syria conflict and Russia and Iran are on the other. Like, I do not get there's definitely a nuance there. I do not get. But perhaps these conflicts are in one way in that three dimensional chessboard a little bit more superficial. I mean, they're deadly. I'm not saying that. But, you know, there it, it could be whatever it is they have it, in store for Russia these could have been provocations as much as the other things they wanted for. Yeah. I think I that's totally that. plausible. I didn't think about that before. It's so weird. It's really hard to figure out. That's if you read, there's a book called getting us into war. It talks a lot about that when it comes to world war. Who war. wrote that? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. When was it written? It was written was- in 19, 19- 38 or something like right. that. So it was about World War One. It was a retrospective on how we uh, got into no, it. It was, but it was a warning about World War Two. is what it, is the purpose of okay. it. Is he was warning people and he was using, he was laying out what happened in World War One. He was yeah. uh, showing all the written correspondence between world leaders. And it's, it's actually for studying propaganda. It's a great book, and I wish I could remember the guy's name because the guy yeah. is actually highly respected for his critical analysis work. So it's not, it's not like one of those books that people debunk because he sources everything. It's a 700-page book, and you can find the sources for everything he talks about. I'll tell you, I tweet on a regular basis headlines that I find absolutely the kind of splashy propaganda. I, I've read a lot, a lot of books on particularly World War II, maybe a little bit of World War One, And when you see like what led up, I have one book, like what went, led up to World War One, 
and you see these headlines at, and they're and what they do in these his, history books, mainstream history books, pop boilers, is they string together these headlines as if it's a narrative of what actually happened and why we had war. Yeah. But now that I'm living through it and I'm seeing it, I see those headlines because I know that the headlines are not representing the true story. Sometimes it's not even a real event. And I see the headlines now for what they really are, which is propaganda meant to agitate us into war. Yeah. It's not causal. It's, it's, a, it's a tactic. Yeah. There's a book, How We Advertise America, which was written by the guy who put together or he's the head of the Committee on Public Information, which was the propaganda, the United States propaganda war department that Edward Bernays was on. For World War One, and the whole book is about that. It's about controlling the headlines and the media and the news in order to get the public to want war. That's yeah. definitely what I see happening right now, which is what worries me, because a lot of times I think the war stuff is just to get the defense budget up. But now I, I feel like it has a different flavor. The guy who wrote the first book you talked about, Getting Us Into War, is it? Porter Sargent. Porter is Sargent. Yeah, I just used my phone. I know we can't use the computers. It messes up your... <sighs> speed so yeah i see the guy who wrote this other book is george creel oh george creel is uh very well known isn't yes. he the creel commission yeah that's the committee on public information it's, it's, yeah it's, yeah that's a little bit i think of disinfo but oh yeah he definitely he tries to shine it up but he's so boastful yeah. about it that even i guess it's a limited hangout yeah and in, in bernay's books bernay's totally reveals everything it's just these yeah. books are usually written for other people like them. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is a famous quote somewhere like it's don't worry. Americans don't yeah. read something like that. Yeah. Like, and, and it doesn't matter even if they do the beginning of the report from Iron Mountain, whatever it was packaged for the public. It, and it's all over. It is like it doesn't matter. It's not even it wasn't even a secret. These these studies aren't even I think it's like an amalgam of studies, but these studies aren't even marked secret because it doesn't matter if you let them out. Nobody's going to do anything about it. Yeah. All right, this next clip. Yeah. Wood is making the case as to why there's no cooperating with Putin. This is a theme throughout this whole talk and and throughout that paper that we can't cooperate with Putin. Are you kidding me? And I want you to see if what he's saying sounds familiar. Remember, this is from July of 2015. His bureaucracy is not just incompetent but deeply corrupted. Its administration is, uh, the top of the administration is extremely small. It's a mystery to me and I think to many people who rarely advises Putin and whether political decisions are taken in a coherent uh, way. Um, the question whether Putin can change, I think it's more or less proved itself that he probably cannot. We must not be deluded by the idea that being nice, being polite is the best policy. The best policy is to talk the truth. Sounds a lot like the way the media here describes Trump, doesn't it? Absolutely. It is just the same kind of propaganda. You could take every single phrase that he just said and trace it to a an, a full-on meme campaign against Trump. That's I got, I got another one for you. See if this one sounds uh, similar. Nobody is saying that we don't have a dialogue. Uh, the question is a dialogue about what and with whom. A dialogue with Putin, who is a serial uh, liar, is an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. Could have put that on CNN today and, and just done an American accent and talked about But Trump. this guy's a complete liar, the guy who's talking, which is another thing that and you he, point out. They always call the other guy exactly what they are. This is a guy who said laughingly at the beginning of this panel discussion that he yeah. likes to break up countries. Yeah. You know, there's programming going on when we're hearing the same things that we hear in our media now about Trump. We hear these same things about Putin coming from this guy. You know, but I have to always go back to what is really going on with Russia and Putin. The way uh, there's something going on, like Putin was put in place by Yeltsin, who was put in place by Bill Clinton. And and with every one of these guys who was part of our scene Al-Qaeda, you know, all these guys, they just went rogue. I don't know. They used to be our guy, but now they're not our guy anymore. Yeah. I'm not sure I ever believe that. And Putin, he is such an iconic figure. He rep represents so much. He has so much 
power or apparent power and staying power. I just, I have to believe that just like everybody else, at at that level of, you know, in the hierarchy, in the structure that he's serving some big player's interest, if not the big player's interest. Maybe. I don't trust Putin just like I don't trust this guy. I will say that this guy, I don't don't have clips of this, but one of the prescriptions that he talks about in this paper is he talks about how – talks about regime change, but he talks about the difficulties of it. But what he implies throughout his discussion on it is that he would implement a a regime change right now if he he thought he could do it easily. But, I mean, it's not even easy in Syria. You're not going to get it there. I wonder also – I mean, this is where – I really think there's a possibility of this, that what they want is war for war's sake. Yeah. So that they 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 like to spend that money. Well, remember, this guy is an associate fellow, and you've talked about this a lot. And change the world. Yeah. He's, a, he's an associate fellow of the Russia and Eurasia program. You've talked about that Eurasia of what? Because Stacey Abrams was Stacey Abrams did a couple of internships. No, no, I mean, just that. is it Eurasia? Isn't that the massive continent? Oh yeah, yes, yes. The uh, the the breadbasket, whatever. The the earthly landmass is Eurasia. Yeah, and that's like you know that's prime target for control. Yeah, they have to keep it divided. So what they really need is Europe, Russia, and China to not get together or the the skirt the english ring of islands english speaking and english controlled basically ring of islands around that landmass gets uh could never win in that war they have to keep it divided it's their only hope so he's yeah he's uh, an associate fellow of the russia and eurasia program so he has his interests are focused around that so like yeah, yeah, he's studying it to destroy it, no doubt. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And I guess Russia and China, if they really want to do that, they they always historically World War Two anyway, and World War One, I, I believe, but World War Two for sure was about uh, keeping Russia and Germany at odds. That's why you see that the Bolsheviks and the Nazis were both financed kind of by some of the same people. Yeah. And but now, like you look at China and Russia, China, maybe this is a key to the to part of the mystery. China was totally infiltrated and supported by the Rockefellers, according to some great work by James Corbett. Yeah. And uh, Mao was trained in some program at Yale and Rockefellers brought tech and defense and stuff to China. Nixon opened China up. So China is definitely at one level of the chessboard our thing. And Russia obviously has some weird connections, but perhaps it's a similar thing that like the way the Nazis and the Bolsheviks were financed by some of the same people. Maybe they're doing that with the Chinese and the Russians to make sure that their interests ultimately clash by getting in there and infiltrating them, controlling what they want to do. Maybe this idea we put on Russia that it's expansionist, maybe the provocation is to get it to push against the border countries between Russia and China, you know, like the stands. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Maybe. All right. Now here he, here he talks about, this is important because the UK, they always seem to make sure that we ally with them in a war like world war one. They needed us. This is why they had to get us into it. We have historically always been done a lot of the bidding for them in, in wars. And, that's why this is interesting to me is because he, he references how we need to have an aligned policy towards Russia talking about the U.S. is what he's talking about. Putin's absolute obsession with the United States as in some divine sense, the analog to, to, to Russia, uh, is, makes it very important we maintain a transatlantic dialogue and an effective alignment of policies towards Russia. He's saying that the U that Putin is obsessed with the United States. Putin's obsessed with us, and because of that, they need to maintain a transatlantic dialogue with us so that we can align okay. policies towards Russia together. This is 2015, oh. before all this madness. We got to stop right here. I, it is so juvenile to me 
it's sad that people fall for it to act like these machinations that involve implications for trillions of dollars worth of assets that affect people who control hundreds of billions of dollars worth of assets, which means they control a lot of people and a lot of power and a lot of countries that these, these levers are subject to the whim of a handful of psychologically unstable people is laughable. Trump is not moving the world levers because he, out of anger towards Obama, gets peed on. Putin does not have some obsession with the United States that makes him act like a raving lunatic. I I mean, this North Korea thing, they they go back and forth on... now, remember, this guy is not a psycho. Anytime they tell you somebody's a psycho and that's why we have to do it, it's because there is no rational explanation for what these people want to do by manipulating our policy other than the obvious one that it's in their own self-interest. So they yeah. say, no, it's not in my self-interest. And I'm like, well, it's not in uh, you know, serious self-interest to drop chemicals as soon as we say we're going to pull out. Oh, but that guy's a nut job. Yeah. Oh, he's a nut job. Okay, yeah. well, that I, I now I get it. I'll just I'm gonna have to trust you on that because nothing makes sense at all unless this guy is an absolute lunatic, which is much more plausible than the fact that it's in your interest to have a gas pipeline go through that country. But whatever, yeah, you know, I'll take your word for it. Sorry, it just makes me crazy because and 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 everything's a a soap opera and personal. Like today, I tuned into the like turned every channel, every single channel on my serious dial of news. And every single person was saying that the unidentified junior staffer who was reported to have taken a shot at McCain verbally in a private meeting needs to come out publicly and apologize to him. This was on every single cable news channel when I came into this office today. It's been on there for like three days, three I, I mean, days. If I were overhearing my daughter on a phone call talking about that, I th- somebody told me that somebody said something about me in some meeting sometime, and I think that person needs to come out and say uh, he or she is sorry to me, to my face, in front of everybody. That's what I think. If she even said that 45-second thing, I would be like, hang up the phone, shut up, go to your room. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Hang up the phone, call CNN, get a panel discussion together. Yes. Yes. And by all means, don't find out if it's true or who the person is because then the conversation would stop. I mean, I would literally punish her for idle gossip. Who cares what this person said? And it's such a tacky thing. I, I am not trying to say that because I. what's implausible to me about it is that it is so rude and so tacky. That I I literally can't imagine somebody in a professional setting saying something like that in an offensive and offhand way, you know. But even if the person did say it, what difference does it make? I mean, this is a guy. They need gossip. It's just like you said. That's what the news is. There was. I think I texted you this. MSNBC and CNN since late March, and, and it's early May right now, about mid May have had Michael Avenatti on their networks over a hundred times. This is Stormy Daniels' lawyer, right? Yes. Who I... A hundred times in less than two months. That's unbelievable. And what was his backstory? His backstory is that he used to work for Rob Emanuel. Oh, yeah. Wow. His uh, intelligence firm, or or no, his um, opposition research firm, and he worked on 150 Democrat campaigns, including... Including Stormy Daniels? No, Did he, he didn't, work on he Stormy didn't work Daniels on Stormy campaign. Daniels 2009 campaign. <laughs> what was she running for? She was running for the Senate in Bitter Louisiana. Yeah. Yes, yes. Screw Americans legally. That was her going to be her motto. <laughs> and Joe Biden was one of these Senate campaigns that Avenatti worked on. He seems to have an agenda. But anyway, now speaking to what you were just saying about pettiness and gossipy now these are these are diplomats quote unquote even though one of them likes to break up countries here is what keir giles this is a guy who is also from the chatham house here's what he says that the u.s needs to learn about russia 
Europe and the United States do need instead to learn to live with the fundamental incompatibility of worldview and strategic aspirations between Russia and the West, which will lead to further confrontation in the frontline states. Accommodation of Russia will now, as it always has done, make matters worse, not better. What a psycho. Yeah. Now check this one out. It gets even worse. Now this is what he says about having meaningful dialogue with Russia. The problem of respecting Russia as a great power spilling over into a temptation to respect Russia's self-defined security interests while, as you said, at the same time preserving our values. Unfortunately, that's not possible because the two are entirely incompatible. Put very simply, we want peace, they want victory. And this is the reason why, at the moment, we are unable to offer them anything in terms of political dialogue which is meaningful from the other side. He says our values. He's applying their values to us as well. Wait, I don't understand your comment. He says our values are incompatible with what Russia wants and the specific wants that he described in there. And when he says our values, he's referring to these international world values of the EU, and he's applying them to the United States as well, to the whole West. So he's saying we all want these same same things. When you look at these think tanks, I actually was investigating them when I was looking at all the stuff that Stacey Abrams did. The, the, in their minds, it, we already have the English-based social democracy that Cecil Rhodes wanted to spread around the entire world, which I think is the foundation of most of the wars, Vietnam and Korea and all that kind of stuff. It's just about spreading this stuff everywhere, but... I have to say a couple of things about that clip. First of all, the peace and victory thing, that just <laughs> really triggers me because yeah. I noticed, I observed, and I, I never saw anybody write this. Maybe this is obvious. Maybe everybody knew it. But when you see, you ever see those pictures of Churchill holding up the peace sign, making the peace sign with his hand? Yeah. Right? I've looked at that so many times, and I'm like, that's not, a, that. that just means Peace equals victory. That's V for victory. Yeah. And the hippies adopted that, but it's a it's war. That that's a V for victory. That's not peace. That's that's conquest. That's what I've observed about that. So when somebody equate says that that our idea of peace is something other than victory, especially an English guy, I think that's newspeak. You know, Orwellian. Oh, Orwellian. And then the other thing is is he says you can't respect them. I know. That's crazy. Here, isn't it? Here's something <laughs> that I have had to like in this battle I have with my kids over their cell phones, you know. I have to tell them if they speak to me disrespectfully, they lose the phones. And and they might not think I deserve respect, but I can prove to them that I do yeah. because I have the power to take their phones. Mm-hmm. You need to respect my authority because it's actual. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if these people have actual power as a very powerful nuclear nation, you must respect them. I mean, you can see it playing out right now between North Korea and Iran. I'm sure this theme is going to emerge over the next couple of days. Trump is getting highly belligerent towards Iran who does not have a nuclear weapon and is being conciliatory towards, or at least negotiating towards North Korea, yeah. who does have a nuclear weapon. So it's just the reality. You respect the people that have the power to, to retaliate against you if you not treat them with disrespect, but actually step on their toes. You can't, it's like when... You know, you just cannot, uh, if you are disrespecting somebody who has actual power, you're looking for trouble. And that's what this guy is doing. And a policy of disrespect towards anyone is a provocation. I mean, he's he's basically stating we have a policy of disrespecting Russia's interest, including their self-defense interest. That's, you can't, there's a word, uh, 
I never heard the word before in my life, but it was in an article in the Wall Street Journal that was a picture of Netanyahu and Putin. And it was like the orange and black ribbon thing. There's some like ceremony and it's like the, this ribbon now stands for Russia's desire to reform its empire or the Soviet Union in the form of a like pre of a czarist style empire, whatever, as if they're trying to build an empire. And frankly, even that is none of our business. And I just, I don't believe it. I mean, I, I don't, the thing with Ukraine is proof positive. They're saying that that is an example of his invading other countries, but that's an example of him responding to a country that was invaded. Yeah. Syria too. I mean, just because they, the West didn't open, didn't crash across the borders with their military. It's a democratic society. A coup is a, is an act of war. Regime change through mercenaries. It, is an act of war like in Syria and, and a war is what they have. So I don't believe what they're saying about Russian expansionism, unless they're trying to provoke Russian expansionism. If people are asking Russia to accept them as a protectorate, like Crimea, now Russia was never going to let Crimea go anywhere because it's, it's port and it used to own it, you know, so it wouldn't matter if they wanted them or not. They did want them. You know, and then you got to wonder what, you know, at what level that Ukraine thing is a provocation because Crimea begged Russia to come there. Yeah. Russia would have done it anyway. But you know what I mean? Like they set that up and they knew it. And uh, so it seems, you know, it gets to the point where I don't I, I don't believe that what these guys are doing is trying to contain a real problem they in good faith believe is coming out of Russia. Yeah. But what are they really trying to do? I don't know. He says that it's impossible to have any meaningful dialogue with Russia. This is 2015 in July. They've already decided it's impossible to have any meaningful dialogue. What else are they willing to do? And they already talked about this guy breaking up countries. That makes you question, what are they willing to do? How how much were they involved in creating the Russian collusion story? Because they definitely had a part in it. Oh, yes, of course. They talk about in their book. Not a book. The report they did, the Russian challenge, they talk about it needs to be communicated to Americans. Yes. We need to understand because some Americans are still open obsessed. to communicating. Yes. yes, and they're obsessed and with they, the U.S. Right. The U.S. does not need to be open to communicating this authoritative power, so they need to understand how much of a threat that they are. What better way for them to communicate to the American people this threat that they describe of Russian authoritarian nationalism than to make the American public believe that Russia hijacked their election and installed a puppet president i mean what a coincidence something just so happened to occur that created the exact effect that they described that they needed to create the whole russian collusion yeah. demonstrating yeah demonstrating the threat so that the target audience knows what it feels like i don't think it's unreasonable that sir andrew wood and the chatham house should be the subject of an investigation and even if it is a coincidence, we should be investigating them for not telling us and not preparing us. I mean, we act like this thing came out of nowhere with Russia. They've been talking about it for years. They didn't give us a heads up. They're supposed to be our allies. Either way, this should be investigated. Yeah. And to suggest that you can't have a meaningful dialogue with Russians is kind of funny because if you ever watch it, I actually stopped watching RT at a certain point, Russia Today, because it became very, like, blatantly propaganda-y. Like, it yeah. really lost its ump for me a few years ago, unfortunately, which is another, like, piece of the mystery in my mind. But if you see Lavrov or, like, there's a woman, I don't know how how much airtime she gets, but she's a Russian, like, PR kind of person, blonde-haired gal, uh... Or Putin himself, when he has like four hour Q and A marathon, he they're they're always like irrational and straightforward. And I mean, granted, they're in high levels. I'm sure they're great at propaganda too. They could be snowing me. Putin actually had Edward Snowden, like Max Headroom, on a monitor bopping around in one of these Q and As, and and. Putin himself has implied how what a ridiculous story the whole Snowden thing is. 
Yeah. And, and yet he plays along with it. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that really mystifies me. And, or at the very least shows that he can exploit a limited hangout or, um, and like he, when he pays lip service to ISIS without ever calling him out as being a, um, a depart, a DIA, like a U.S. Uh, creation or, uh, whatever. Um, yeah, he was KGB, so he's definitely going to be good at deception, just yeah. like all these other guys are. Yeah, I don't, I don't get their game. I don't. There are too many like weird anomalies in the narrative for me to say it's black and white. Or, but to say you can't have a meaningful dialogue when our propaganda spewers like aren't even rational. When when you're when your argument is we're bombing the Syrian government because we're fighting terrorists that the Syrian government is fighting. Like, that's just not even a logical statement. Yeah. That is a person, I think at the time, who was it? It was the Secretary of Defense at the time, said that um, that is a person you cannot have a meaningful dialogue with because it makes no sense. You just right. you can't communicate that way. And plus, our, our figureheads like Obama and Trump, I mean, I feel like. They have less. I, I mean, they, I really just think of them as as face jobs. Yeah. So who's going to dialogue with them? Along with already deciding, this is July of 2015, that they can't have a meaningful dialogue with Russia. And one of the previous clips, they talked about how they need to uh, have that transatlantic dialogue, like I was talking about a second ago. They need to communicate and understanding to the United States so that they can align policy. So they're saying that the United States needs to have a policy where they cannot have any meaningful dialogue with Russia. That needs to be the United States policy, that no meaningful dialogue happens with Russia and no respect to anything that's in their interest. That's what they're saying when they say that we need to align our policy towards Russia with theirs. No respect and no meaningful dialogue. And that is the exact policy that the mainstream media has propagated for the past 18 months or so. No meaningful dialogue when it comes to Russia. Wonder where they got that from. Right. And it's actually quite genius if it is what you're talking about. And it sure looks like it. It's quite genius because what it says is Trump, and this was very prominent in England um, before World War II to make it look like everybody at the top wasn't full throttle for war. They had people who were like ostensibly pro Hitler or gave Hitler because you know, when you look back on Hitler, there's no two sides of the argument. But at that time, there it was kind of like, well, what what he do? You know, it's not like they knew about um, the concentration camps. I don't think. I don't. I don't think he was in Poland yet. So they had people like the king and the prime minister say positive things about Hitler. So it looked like there was a real battle at the top. So if you have Trump coming out and um, being pro-Russia in everybody's mind, and still we end up at war with Russia, it, Russia must have, it, it must have been inevitable. It's like no choice. Yeah. Because they're so bad. Yeah. That, and that's the type of and psychological warfare campaigns that were conducted prior to World War One. I. I mean, through every war. And they're but, pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's psychology or reverse psychology. It's pretty simple. It's great in the reaction like you talked about. It's just that when you, you talk about this type of propaganda, if you were to tell somebody who disagrees with you, who is emotionally invested in one side or the other about this type of propaganda, it's going to be an immediate knee jerk. Oh, they're not playing 18 chess, you know, whatever. But it's that's called. why I was so moved by the memetics slideshow. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. It's exactly and, what they do. Yeah. And it's what they say in that thing is. We don't use this domestically, which is bull, because you can see it being used domestically. However, okay, then they're just using it internationally. And and so we do it in England, maybe, against Russia, and England will do it in the U.S. for us. Again, right. You know what I mean? So the medics, let, let, let England have the exact same slideshow and let them do yeah. our dirty work and let our, us do their dirty work if that's how you want to make it legal. Yeah. But uh, it's happening. You can see it happen. And that's exactly how they do it. And they fund the psychological studies. And that's what I think a lot of the Internet before it shut down on Valentine's Day 2018, when the Internet still was fairly open. I think most of the stuff that that was truthy stuff that we were finding back then 
was this psychological experiment of how people react, how things spread. Yeah. And to that point, Russia does international propaganda against us too. So does China. So does Israel. So does every country that can afford to carry out an international propaganda campaign. Laswell writes about this back in 1920. We all do it to each other. So this isn't saying that Russia doesn't try and carry on a campaign. I was talking to an Ethiopian guy who said that all that stuff about the famine when I was a kid was was propaganda. They just yeah. wanted to get in there and control the government. And so they got all that money and they gave it to people who operated on the ground to change the culture and the politics of Ethiopia, for heaven's sake. Yeah. So this psychological warfare is an ongoing thing. All countries are doing it to each other, and they're doing it to their own populations. This is how it's happened throughout history, and being aware of it enables people to not fall into it, to ask questions about it. Like there's no reason. There is absolutely zero reason why this guy or this uh, the Chatham House itself shouldn't be investigated. The fact that they're completely ignoring this stuff is unbelievable. Now, here's a clip that speaks to exactly what you were just talking about when it comes to Russia and how they're treating them like old Russia. Russia's reaction with its neighbors has now reverted to its default settings. 2014 wasn't abnormal. It's actually the previous 25 years that were out of character for Russia, uh, while the the period while their resources didn't match their enduring intentions and aspirations. It was the previous 25 years that were out of character. They're still, uh, just ignore all that, you know? Right. So so the 25 years, though, it's like 1990 when the USSR broke up, when Berlin, the Berlin Wall fell, which we made a deal with Gorbachev when he gave up the Berlin Wall. We made a deal with him that the Warsaw Pact countries that provided the buffer zone between Russia and Europe would never, I think we specifically said, would never join NATO. We would never pursue them. Every single one, if I'm not mistaken, of those countries has now joined NATO or darn close. Ukraine might have been the last one to fall. Yeah. So we have been the aggressors throughout that time. So these 25 years, first we put in Yeltsin. Uh, I don't know what his story was, but he certainly was installed by us. And uh, and my understanding is how of how they uh, transitioned the country with our help from communist to capitalist, supposedly to use those terms loosely, was they they gave out kind of handed out stock to everybody for the of the companies. Uh, they just like okay, we're going to privatize this by giving every single Russian a share of stock, and then they kind of. This is a classic uh, and illegal in this country thing to do is you you um, badmouth the stock so that it loses value. And so they immediately were like, oh, this is Aeroflot. It's the worst thing ever. You know, I'll give you 25 cents for every dollar worth of stock you have. Sure, 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 whatever. And then that's where all the oligarchs came from because they went and scooped up knowing darn well that these companies were monopolies of every industry and could easily and would always be or at least have a huge advantage. So, so I think that we sabotaged, uh, Russia and, um, that's what's been happening for the past 25 years. I don't know where we are now. I really, since Putin is a relic of that transition, I do not know what to make of it. Yeah. But I, but there's maybe we've been setting him up the whole time. And you notice that the the one the event that that whole statement relies on is the Ukraine coup. Here's the reason why the last 25 years were a blip and they have reverted back to the old Russia, the Ukraine coup. That's- which which we know. I mean, <laughs> I no one's ever, I, I, no one's ever made a plausible argument to me how nobody could explain away two big things. One is that. A U.S. Assistant Secretary of State organized that coup. And the other, very tragically and criminally, was that uh, snipers shot at protesters and police to turn that Maidan Square protest deadly. All right. I have one more clip. I know we got about three minutes left. And yep. uh, I, I know you'll few, have, I have a, a few more minutes than that. You'll have a comment. I'll, I have one comment about this one. You'll probably have more. He is talking about – Wood is talking about some of the the goals they'd like to achieve when it comes to the Russian challenge. 
helping Ukraine, improving Western security, reinventing the EU's Eastern Partnership, finding ways to call, uh, communicate with the Russian people separate from the way we treat the Russian regime. Now, the that's last propaganda, part of that, bro. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's what he's saying. That, on but, adult thread. And that's what, what Clapper was calling for, USIA on steroids. It was designed, this is a third element of the Russian collusion psyop. It's, he said, we are going to retaliate against Russia's information campaign in this country by giving them 10 times what they gave us. So the Russian collusion thing yeah. justifies the propaganda attack that we are launching. And don't forget, Obama planted a cyber bomb, right? Yeah, it's just crazy. <laughs> I'm sure that won't provoke a retaliation. That part about communicating to the Russian people separate from the regime, and he's emphasizing Putin throughout this whole thing. He's describing a demonization campaign. Yeah. You demonize an individual as the sole evil. That's how you separate him from the people. We know you're not evil. You're just under the authority of an evil. Yes. And that's what's yes. going on. I, the Russian people have got to be harder to manipulate than we are because they were raised. Now, maybe. Well, I don't I, know what propaganda they're, they're putting in Russia. I have no idea. It's going to. Well, sometimes I think that that. One thing that I see that I think is kind of weird is when we do insanely stupid things like bomb a hospital in Afghanistan and it gets worldwide attention to where the Pope and Putin both say, oh, we need a world government. We need a world government. That's yeah. the kind of propaganda I think might work. But the but we were raised to believe the press. Now, the Russians who grew up behind the Iron Curtain, they knew better. They're less gullible. It's they they knew that they're. Their press was owned by the government, whatever. But here's a really important thing that I'm I'm observing in this technological revolution or whatever, is that what they're really doing to control, to, to change, to move into the total information control world is they, they are, it's generational. They're just waiting for people with previous experience to die. They're yeah. never going to get me on board. They're never going to get anyone who lived behind the Iron Curtain on board with the propaganda, but they will. My guess is every single person in Russia, oh, I shouldn't say that. The, if, for this to work, all they have to do is give every kid an iPhone. Yeah. And, you know, right. and then over time, if every kid always gets an iPhone, over time, the iPhone will control their minds and the older generation will just dry up and fall off. Which is what's happening here. You know, people are opening opening up digital detox camps. That's a great, great opportunity really? to make some money. Yeah. That's great. Although the addiction detox dialectic can you know, it's just a huge resource sink, keeps everybody engaged in it. Boy, Ben. It's a challenging thing because unlike drugs, iPhones and the technology are now built in to how we work and how we yes. earn. Oh, of course. I so mean, that's always to, been my thing. They yeah. subsidized it and made it an essential part of the economy yeah. so that you can't live without it. And that's why another element has to be they need to take arable land offline, which was UN Habitat One's, uh, one of their tenets was people can own private property, but they can't own real property. Don't Here. let individuals own land and and I think it's cuz if they can they can control everything as long as you can grow some food they yeah, got to make sure yeah. you can't grow food or they will not have this uh oh am I getting negative again i feel good no as long as you feel good <laughs> I, I don't perceive this stuff as negative i perceive this as uncovering a mystery to yeah. uh better inform ourselves yes and it's forward looking which i think is important to right. say hey look, I, this I is what we're looking at I think it's fun to uncover this prick. I mean, this guy's a jerk. He starts this thing off by laughing about breaking up countries, and he's talking about we don't even need to have a dialogue. The other guy's worse, though. Who's the other guy? Keir Giles? Is that what she said? Yeah, the other guy. I haven't researched his background as much. He know. sounds. He does. He sounds just as bad. He's worse, he, yeah. He also is a, an associate fellow of the Russia and Eurasia program. 
this entire talk is worth listening to and just kind of I had I listened to parts of it like multiple times just to digest all the stuff that they were putting into one or two sentences. There's actually a representative of Germany there as well. And he, when he talks, I don't have any of his clips, but when he talks, he's he's saying, no, I think maybe we should talk to them or he's saying very reasonable things. And they're just they're just instantly just shutting them down. It's a no, no. Well, the Germany thing, that is another thing that uh, puzzles me is that there they could be a natural alliance. That is the alliance that threatens England directly the most. And uh, and there's reasons for them to want to do it. It, it, Russia has a, a lot of raw materials and Germany has that industrial base. So Germany, I don't get Merkel, but as a really their real interests, there would be no reason to reject Russia. Yeah. That's all I have for today. I I know that you got, you got to run. I do. I always have my uh, boring, but important obligations. They're not boring. They're, they're, they're every day. They're every day. My every day, my real job (laughs) is always calling. So uh, thank you. That was uh, most enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, go to PropagandaReportDaily.com. Subscribe if you haven't. Leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, everybody who has donated to us on PayPal and Patreon, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. Later.